Can we now diagnose which of our patients will go on to have a heart attack by merely scraping the inside of their cheek? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Jeffrey Gulcher, who has served as the Chief Scientific Officer since October 2003 for Decode Genetics, and he also co-founded Decode Genetics in August of 1996. Dr. Gulcher, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I see in your bio that you were a neurologist. I'm wondering, how did you jump from neurology to decode genetics? Well, in my training, I was doing an awful lot of research on proteins and brain diseases like multiple sclerosis, and I realized that a lot of things change in the brain as a reaction to a disease rather than causing the disease. But what I thought was more attractive is could I find the initial cause of those brain diseases by looking at the DNA level and trying to tie in genetic variation to susceptibility to those diseases. So that's how we started. And why Iceland? Iceland is a relatively homogeneous population. It's not fully homogeneous, but it represents the gene pool of northern Europe during the Viking era. It's made up of populations from Norway and the British Isles. So it makes it a lot easier to trace individuals through the genealogy of one island as a starting point as a discovery population. Can you tell me a little bit about how uh, Decode works in terms of, do you just go fishing for proteins, or do you know what you're going to look for before? Yeah, so we're looking for genes, and we're looking for genetic variation. So we'll start out with large population lists of, for example, myocardial infarction patients. We can get the entire list of all patients in Iceland who've ever had a heart attack in the last 25 years, and then we match that list to the genealogy database that we have for the whole population. And then we do very high throughput and high density genotyping or genetic fingerprinting. And we use up to a million markers to scan the genome for variation that is much more common in patients as compared to controls. So tell me a little bit about the DECODE MI test. We found that by doing what is called a genome-wide association study, we took about 2,000 patients in Iceland who'd had a heart attack within the last 10 years, compared their genome with a million different markers to those 20,000 patients who'd not had a heart attack yet and asked the question, which variants were much more common in the patient group compared to the control group? And we found that there were two variations on the same gene area on chromosome 9P21 that had a significantly higher prevalence in patients compared to controls. How do we know that it's just a coincidence or a correlation versus cause and effect? Yeah, very good question. First of all, we want to make sure this is not just a statistical fluke. So it's very, very important before one publishes a discovery like this that one makes sure that one can replicate it widely across populations. So the first thing we did after we found these markers is we worked with some groups from UPenn, Emory, Duke University, and looked at their very large cardiovascular cohorts and were able to confirm that the associations not only held up, but they also, the relative risks were quite similar across populations. Have you looked at any other ethnic groups besides Norwegians or Vikings? Yeah, we've looked in the Chinese population. Other groups have looked in uh, Japanese and Korean populations, and they find that the relative risk and the frequency of these variants are almost identical and have a very similar effect. For African-Americans, though, we don't have very many uh, patients, unfortunately, that have been collected in large cohorts yet, but there have been a couple groups looking at smaller cohorts, and so far it doesn't look like it has the same strong effect in uh, African-Americans. Dr. Gulcher, do you believe that heart disease or having an MI is related to diet, or do you really think it's predetermined by a gene? It's really a combination. 
the genetics of common diseases are much more complicated than the genetics, for example, for a monogenic disease like Huntington's disease. If you have the gene mutation in the Huntington's disease gene, and there's only one gene, then you will get Huntington's disease no matter what you do. If you change your diet, it doesn't matter, you'll get Huntington's disease. Conversely, if you don't have a mutation in that gene, no matter what you do, you will never get Huntington's disease. So that's an example of a purely genetic disease where the gene causes the disease. In the common diseases, it's never that way. It's really an interaction between the various genes that you have, your genetic susceptibility, and your environment. So I think you really need to have two to tangle. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and my guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Gulcher, who is Chief Scientific Officer of Decode Genetics, a company out of Reykjavik, Iceland, and we're talking about the Decode MI genetic tests. Dr. Gulcher, I actually had the test done on myself at a conference, and I got the results, and I tested positive. And when I opened the letter, I had a mini panic attack. I got dizzy and had to sit down until I read all of the fine print. And it seems like even though I tested positive, 20% of the population will test positive. That's right. Many of the genes that we discover that correlate to common diseases are fairly frequent, but they don't have a huge effect. They may increase your risk by 50% or even 100%, but certainly are not determinative in the same way that a Huntington's disease gene might be determinative, as I described earlier. And so from that perspective, it's just another risk factor that you can try to manage together with the other risk factors that you have for cardiovascular disease. But how do I manage that risk factor that I have the gene? I can't really alter that or decrease its significance. That's right. And there are other risk factors for cardiovascular disease that you cannot directly manipulate or compensate for. My father, right, my parents. Exactly, like family history. So that's why the ATP3 guidelines suggest that if you have a certain risk profile using conventional risk factors and you get to a certain level of risk, for example, high risk, intermediate risk, or low risk, that helps dictate what your ideal LDL cholesterol target should be, and this is at least one way of compensating for the, quote, non-modifiable risk factors like family history or genetics. Do I need this test to test my patients and stratify them better, or can I just use lipids, CRP, plaque test? It just seems like every week there's a new test coming out. That's right. And uh, we and others have taken these genetic markers. And by the way, I should mention, there have been many other groups throughout the world who've also carried out the same type of experiment that we did in Iceland. And no matter what group that they start out with, they always find these two markers in the same gene that we initially found in Iceland. So this seems to be by far the strongest known genetic factor for myocardial infarction. But it turns out these genetic factors are completely independent of your LDL cholesterol, hypertension, smoking history, diabetes, CRP, LPPLA2, etc. And so they represent independent risk factors. The risk, though, that is conferred is about 1.3 to 1.fold compared to the general population risk of MI. You can say, well, that's not very strong, but it is pretty comparable, however, to uh, an LDL cholesterol or some of the other risk factors that I mentioned. So that it has some significant risk. Like you mentioned, it's a very common risk. So we think it's a major genetic factor that should be considered, especially in your low-risk or intermediate-risk patients. If you have a high-risk patient, you may already have maxed out your intensity of LDL cholesterol lowering, and so maybe this test is not very useful. But if you have a patient who's in the intermediate-risk class, maybe 
they may bump up to the high-risk class, and therefore your LDL cholesterol target might be different. So tell me a little bit about how you'd get the test, what it costs, how a, a normal physician can get it. Right, so there are two ways to get the test. One is go to our website, decodediagnostics.com, and there's information where you can download a requisition, send a blood sample, just a simple blood sample, EDTA uh, vacutainer, and send it to our Chicago intake site. The other way of taking the test is to use a buccal swab or a cheek swab, which we have a new device that looks just like a tongue blade, and a lot of physicians find it even more convenient to just simply scrape the inner cheek of the patient in 10 seconds, throw it into a self-addressed envelope, and send that out rather than writing a prescription for LabCorp to do the test. And what does it cost? About $250. Does any insurance pay for it now? Yeah, so we have a billing agency that facilitates the filing of insurance claims, and about half the time uh, right now we're already getting reimbursement, and we've just begun this process, but it looks like it is taking off and it is being reimbursed today. If I was a savvy patient, I may not want to release this information or even have my insurance pay for it because I might be worried about them using it against me. Well, there are two answers to that. One is we do have a direct-to-consumer type of way of getting this information that's where the patient can pay directly and have the information go to a secure website that only they uh, have access to, and they can then later choose whether or not to share that with their physician. However, there is a new federal law that was just passed and signed by uh, President Bush called GINA, Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, and that law prevents insurance companies from using genetic information to set premiums or to deny insurance coverage for patients who have that information. It also prevents discrimination or genetic discrimination, if you will, in the workplace. It sounds ideal, but if I was the CEO of an insurance company and I got a hold of someone's record showing they've got either this gene or a Burka gene, I might find some other reason to disqualify them. I guess that would be a violation of the law if they truly are using that information. But what's interesting, though, is I think we see it from a little bit different angle, and a lot of the insurance companies seem to be heading that way, whereas I think they see early detection of mm -hmm. cancer, for example, or early prediction of cardiovascular disease. If it does ultimately lead to uh, earlier detection or prevention, that saves money for the entire uh, healthcare system. All right, let's go back to me again, since the world does revolve around me, and talk about what should I do now that I have this positive test. I'm 46 years old. I have a LDL of 160. My parents did not have heart attacks. What could I counsel myself? Have you calculated where you fit on the ATP3 criteria for the next 10 years worth of risk? What's your risk for having MI in the next 10 years? I have not done Framingham because I, I don't really think it's of great value, but I know that I've got clean arteries by a CT angiogram and a carotid ultrasound. So I assume my risk is probably next to the next guy, which is probably 5 6% in the next 10, 20 years. Right. And I think if your Framingham score or your as you increase in age, of course, your next 10-year risk is going to gradually uh, increase. And if your risk is for an earlier onset, the MI is 1.5-fold as dictated by the test, or even for an MI regardless of age of onset is 1.3-fold, once your percentage for the next 10 years goes above 10%, then that would suggest, at least based on an ATP3 criteria, that your LDL cholesterol should be lowered to 130 or less. All right. So... Can you tell me a little bit about what other products Decode has on the market and or in their pipeline? We've launched a series of tests over the last seven months, and some of which have utility in cardiovascular disease already. One test is called our atrial fibrillation test, or the Decode AF, and that predicts a risk for atrial fibrillation. If patients are positive for this test, 
and about 20 to 25 percent of the general population is positive, they're at twice the risk of developing atrial fibrillation in their lifetime. We also found that this marker is a strong marker for stroke risk or stroke prediction to where patients who have these markers are also at double the risk for cardiogenic stroke. Well, Dr. Jeffrey Gulcher of Decode Genetics, thank you very much for coming on the show. Okay, thank you very much for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit our website at reachmd.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, you can receive six months free of streaming ReachMD. You can listen to anywhere you have a computer. You can also reach us by phone now with your comments and suggestions at 888 MDXM157, and thanks for listening. I am Dr. Joel Saper. I'm the director of the Michigan Head Pain and Neurological Institute in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and you are listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals.